Let us pray together. Requiem eternam dona eis, Domine, et lux perpetua luceat eis. Grant us eternal rest, O God, and let light perpetual shine among us. May it shine in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, and may the words of our mouths and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our rock and our redeemer, and let the people say, Whenever I officiate a memorial service or a funeral, I often begin with the words that we have come here to remember the dearly departed and to do those last things, the only things our very human hands and hearts know to do as we stand in awe at the mystery of life and death. I inherited these words from a mentor, and I keep them because I think they're the right words because most of us spend our lives somewhere in the mystery of life and death. They do remain mysteries to us, no matter how hard we try to work it out, no matter how we try to sustain life or keep death at bay. And however we may imagine what happens to our souls and our consciousness after we die, it all remains a mystery. In fact, I believe the essential work in religion is often trying to negotiate these mysteries with some sort of understanding, to be able to live this life with a sense of purpose and ethics, as well as preparing ourselves for whatever the next life holds. In fact, I believe that's what Paul is speaking to at the church at Corinth, that we may keep steadfast, that we may stay in the game, that we may keep working with some assurance of what God has in store for us. Recently, I've been watching the BBC series called The Midwife, which some of you may know is a period piece about a group of nuns and secular nurses in London's East End during the 1950s. And they are ministering to the poor and working class of that neighborhood as Britain is rebuilding itself, still recovering over a decade later after World War II. Much of their work, as you might imagine from the title, centers around midwifery. And every episode, there are a few freshly born babies sprung forth with all the human muck and blood that accompany each of us as we come into the world. The gory glory of childbirth is cleaned up enough for the small screen, but there's plenty of grunting, screaming, and downright pain with each birth. And all the while, the heroines of the show, the blessed midwives, empower, coach, and assist these fearful but brave mothers with a nobility of purpose and a sweetness of soul. It reminds me that each of us enters this life with a significant amount of pain, anxiety, stress, pushing, panting, and significant risk. And nonetheless, it hasn't stopped us from procreating and populating the species. In the course of a normal lifespan, what, after all, are a few hours of such trouble? It should not surprise us, perhaps, then, that just as we came into this life, we may exit it similarly, with some degree of pain, anxiety, stress, pushing, and risk. 
We don't like to think about it. The thought terrifies us. It stops us in our existential tracks. Most of us would like to die peacefully in our sleep at an old age, full of accomplishments, surrounded by those we love. And some of us will be so fortunate. We celebrate childbirth and diminish the pain and anguish that accompany it, I think, because we know to what we are welcoming the newborn. We understand this life to some degree or another, and we celebrate this blessed, innocent, screaming new soul that comes crashing into our midst. But the other bookend of our lives, death, that's quite another matter. We're not 100% sure where the soul goes because most of us have not gone there. Death is this door, a veil beyond which we know very little, at least with any degree of specificity. Now some have, have claimed to have gone there and come back and they've reported. And in general, reports are very good, <laughs> which is good news for you and me. It's interesting to me that we spend more time as a human beings and throughout the history of humankind speculating about what lies beyond that veil to our souls than we do speculating about what happens to our souls before we come into this life. Some of our Hindu friends have given that more thought than we Christians have. Like a lot of things that are unknown to us, when we begin to think about them, they become fertile ground for our imaginations to run wild. And certainly, human beings have done that, and certainly in the Christian faith, we have done that. And often, it fans the flames of our fear and dread. But it also, when we allow it, gives us a sense of tapping into the deep peace of God. As you've heard, next week we will be listening to one of the monuments of the classical music repertoire, Mozart's Requiem. A requiem composed in the last decade of the 18th century by one, arguably one of the greatest composers in Western history. A man who would die before completing it at the young age of 35. Requiems began as a way of trying to make sense of this mystery of death, as a way of liturgically incorporating them into worship, into some sort of safe house or sanctuary where we might let our souls and imaginations meditate on what happens to us after we leave this earthly life. They began very simply with just a lit liturgy, with the words I said in the prayer, Requiem eternum dona eis domine et lux perpetua Luceat eis. Grant them eternal rest, O Lord, and may perpetual light shine upon them. It developed, though, into a fantastic imagining, based on scripture, some of it, of what may happen to us. Eventually, some monks in the Middle Ages started chanting this in a plain tone, these words, giving the sort of music a spiritual and evanescent heft to help carry our souls into this meditation. And eventually, around 1470 or so, it was set to multiple voices. And since then, the classical music world of the West took off with it. Great composers have tried their hands at Requiem and have had wonderful results. They lifted it out of the safe house of the sanctuary and put it on the concert stage. That's originally where Mozart intended it. And 
If you've ever seen Verdi's great Requiem, which is about an hour and a half long with hundreds of singers and instrumentalists with great bombast and an operatic caliber, you see where the genre took us. In the 20th century, people like Benjamin Britten would try to make it more relevant by using the poetry of World War I and the loss sustained and the way that it caused a crisis of faith for people all over the Western world with his war requiem. Or Johannes Brahms, who would write a requiem in tribute to his mother as a way of taking the Reformation Bible, the Bible of Luther and Gutenberg, and setting new texts for Protestants and Christians all over the world. Since then, there have been many creative undertakings with requiems. It's interesting to note that for Mozart, as some, some of the choir is going to watch Amadeus this afternoon, and they'll see that there's a mysterious messenger who comes to Mozart commissioning this requiem. It's reported to have come from a count who fancied himself an amateur composer and who wanted to have Mozart write a requiem in memory of his beloved wife as he, began, as he was struggling with her death. It's also told that this count often liked to pass off other composers' work as his own. As I said, Mozart didn't finish the Requiem. His student, Sussmeyer, ended up writing out some of the finishing touches on it, and we will hear some of that music next week. My question is, as we put the Requiem that was intended for the concert stage back into the heart of our worship, how should we enter into it? How should we let our souls, imaginations, and our minds come to this place? We will intersperse next week with prayers, prayers of concern for ourselves and all over the world. But I invite you, if you have the time this week, to look into the words. We will have them available to you. You can also look them up online. But the words of comfort as well as the words of terror. The words that inspire, as well as the words that frighten. You will find in it the images shown in the book of Revelation of a lake of fire, of a book that has all our names and our deeds and misdeeds recorded in it, a cheery thought we borrow from Revelation, as well as some of the words of Jesus, saying that in the last days there would be darkness and confusion. I think it's important that we wrestle with all these extremes. Mozart certainly did. Our choir and musicians will next week as they present it to us. But I invite us to step into this requiem because I know some of us may just want to let the music wash over us and penetrate places in our souls where words cannot fully go. And that's an appropriate way to receive this music as well. But I invite us to think about the places for we need to let perpetual light shine. To think about the places where there is a day of wrath and ire already happening. The question I have when we think about heaven and hell, when we think about the life after here, is how are we creating that life right here in our midst? How are we creating heaven among us? How are we creating hell among us? And what is our role in bringing some of that other life here in this place. You will also find the Requiem pleas for help, for mercy, for confessing, for asking help from Maria and St. Michael and for Jesus to be by our sides. As we go into 
the Dies Irae sequence and the day of tremendous terror. I invite us to think about the places in, that wor in the world where that's already happening. Places like Bergen-Belsen or Dachau or Auschwitz or Cambodia or Chevronitsa or today in Aleppo and Homs or Jerusalem and the West Bank and Gaza the southern Sudan, or Aurora, or Newtown, or Charleston, or Roseburg, places where the day tremendous, the day of wrath and ire, is happening, and we are part of that. Mozart has given us this gift with his student Sussmayer as a way to deepen into the soul's own speech, our choir and musicians will bring it to us as a prayer. I pray that it may inform us, that it may enlighten us, that it may bring some light into this space, that we may begin thinking of our own requiems, our own prayers for peace in the world, for light to shine, our own places where we can make whole things that are broken, where we can pull some of the life to come, the peace, the solitude, the good news we hear from these reports and bring it into our midst and live it with our lives. Requiem eternum. Dona eis, Domine, et lux perpetuat luceat. Amen.